So if you want to turn in your Bibles or a Bible you brought with you to 2 Timothy 2, uh, starting at verse 8 here in just a moment. Today we're going to focus on the resurrection. And uh, you already know that through the wonderful songs that we've been singing as well. Unfortunately, if you recall, it seems like it's been years ago, so you may not be able to remember, but Resurrection Sunday was just a couple months ago, just over two months ago. And on Resurrection Sunday, there were just a handful of us here, uh, Steve leading hymns and uh, Carl playing the piano, and most of you were watching online, I'm assuming. So now that we're meeting physically and virtually, we wanted to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with those that could make it. And as I've already stated, of course, we want to celebrate Resurrection Sunday year-round. Um, and we need to celebrate the resurrection year-round. It's kind of funny because in April, we talked, Elaine and I talked, and a few of us talked, and we thought, well, June 27th, this COVID stuff will be behind us, and the choir can sing, and everything. And we're just going to have a great resurrection Sunday. We thought the end of May, the choir would start rehearsing again for this anthem that, that Elaine had written and composed the music for. No, she picked it out. But either way, we thought we were going to be up and going. And uh, it's not yet, obviously, right? We're all ready for it to be done, but it's not yet. So anyways, we still want to celebrate resurrection. And I wanted to pick a different passage to talk about the resurrection with, to go back to the basics. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a reminder why I'm doing something. Sometimes I get discouraged and maybe I feel like just checking out. And if you're filling in the blanks, there's a fill in the blank page in your bulletin. Those are your first two blanks. I need to stop giving you the answers. But sometimes I get discouraged and feel like just checking out. I feel like quitting. It might be helpful to see the finish line, right? It's very, very helpful to see the finish line. But sometimes it's rough because we can't see the finish line. In 1952, just a few years ago, 1952, a very brave and strong young lady waded into the Pacific Ocean. Florence Chadwick, her name was, Florence Chadwick, was determined to break another record. To date, no woman had ever crossed the channel between Catalina Island and the California coast. No woman had ever swam that distance. Long-distance swimming wasn't new to Florence. She was a seasoned long-distance competitor. In fact, she was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. But this was now a 26-mile stretch. Sounds like a marathon. A marathon is 26.2 miles, in case you're wondering. This was a 26-mile stretch, and the conditions that July morning were not optimal. Not only was the water incredibly cold... But a thick blanket of fog had settled in. And to make matters worse, there were sharks who trailed her course. And, had driven off, and, 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 and these sharks had to be driven off several times. So imagine swimming 26 miles in fog and cold water and sharks chasing you the whole time. I could understand why she got discouraged. Florence's coach and family followed along in a small boat, cheering her on. Go for it, Florence. You can do it. Go for it. But it was foggy. Real foggy. And even when she'd been swimming for 15 hours, 15 hours swimming? Even though she'd been swimming for 15 hours, Florence still couldn't see the shoreline. She could not see the end. She could not see the finish line. A bit discouraged and very tired, she finally took her last stroke, telling her family she just could not go on. She quit. 
They all consoled Florence as they pulled her aboard, and she collapsed with exhaustion. Well, as it turned out, Florence quit much too soon that cold July morning. She swam 25 and a half miles, but she couldn't see the end. She couldn't see the coast. Florence fell short of her goal by just half a mile. Now, I couldn't swim a half a mile, but after 25 and a half, you might be able to do that, right? She missed it by one half mile. But by the way, Florence didn't give up. She gave it another try. Just two months after her first attempt, she became the first woman in history to swim the 26-mile channel. She also set a new speed record. Amazing. But that first time, what was the difference? That first time, she couldn't see the finish line. She couldn't see the finish line. In our Christian life, we can get discouraged as well, can't we? We cannot literally see the finish line. That's your next fill in the blank. Though God may give us glimpses of the finish line and the reward. God may give us glimpses of the finish line in our reward in the Christian life. We should study heaven and we should sing about heaven more. That's the finish line. But always remember, we're living with Jesus now. Sometimes, you know, God gives us glimpses, but we don't see the finish line. Sometimes we need a reminder in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13, Paul gives Timothy a reminder of the reason for persevering. The reason is the gospel. The reason for persevering in the Christian life is the gospel. I want to look at this nice outline of the importance of the gospel. Read with me 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Notice verse 8. Remember, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead there's the resurrection the basics of the faith remember jesus christ risen from the dead descendant of david that's another basic the messiah had to be a descendant of david according to my gospel for which i suffer hardship the apostle paul suffers hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal but the word of god is not imprisoned i love that the word of god is not imprisoned Verse 10, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. We're going to talk about this basic passage in a minute. It's deep and basic at the same time. We're going to go back to the resurrection. That's the first thing he says there. Notice that. When he goes back to the basics of the faith, the first thing he points out is the resurrection. And I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says, Without the resurrection, our faith is futile, it's pointless, it's useless. Because he lives, we too will live again. Because he lives, we just sang it, we can face tomorrow. We know who holds the future, and he lives. We serve a risen Savior. And, you know, as I begin, I think it would be very wrong for me to think that everyone comes to church happy and ready to face another week. You know, I realize that some come here discouraged. And hopefully as we go back to the basics, maybe there will be some encouragement that the Holy Spirit might give you today. You may be discouraged in your Christian life. You may be discouraged in your life in general. You may be tired as you've been fighting illness. 
You may be tired of dealing with a nagging knee problem. You may be tired of trying to get a job or a good job or a different job. You may be tired of your current job. You may be tired of bill collectors. You may, be, you may be tired of caring for a loved one, which, you know, as a caregiver can be, get very difficult, can't it? You may be tired of rooting for the Browns. I understand that pain. Fortunately, they haven't lost a game yet this year. There's social distancing between the Browns and the Super Bowl, so you all know. Sorry, all right, move on. Um, You may be tired, tired, and just tired, right? You may wonder where God is. I mean, how many of us are tired of things that we face as a country and as a world these last few months? We're tired of, you know, hearing about a virus, COVID-19, you know, that has changed the whole world in the last few months. I hope as we talk about this passage, it will be a helpful reminder of the gospel, You know, this passage may not help you in direct ways, but hopefully indirect ways to come back to the basics. God is faithful to the end. God is faithful. You know what? I was listening to a sermon a few months ago. I listened to lots of sermons throughout the week of other people. Usually Chuck Swindoll is part of my daily thing, but I'll listen to the Cedarville Chapel messages. and, and, um, And this guy was preaching through Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah in the Old Testament, you see these... Um, Ancestry.com stuff, you know, the lineages, the descendants, the so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and on and on. Uh, First Chronicles chapter 1 through 9 is pretty much all about that. And we find little glimpses of extra information. You know, if we skip over them, sometimes we miss really important things, you know. But the other thing is those um, so-and-so begot so-and-sos, those lineages, those ancestries, it shows that God is faithful. Going back to Genesis 12... Genesis 12, we see God give a promise to Abraham that he's going to make him a mighty nation. His descendants will be as the stars in the sky. And eventually, the Messiah, Jesus, came through one of his descendants. And he lived in 33 years and died on the cross and rose again for our salvation and blessed us. All the nations. God is faithful to the end. And that's one thing we see right here in this passage. Reminders. Paul gives reminders. Look at verses 8 through 10. I'm going to reread them so I can talk more specific. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Here Paul gives a reminder of the gospel worth suffering for. The apostle Paul is suffering as he writes this. You realize that he is suffering. If you look at chapter 4, if you skipped ahead to chapter 4, we see that the Apostle Paul says he's already ready to be poured out as a drink offering. He's ready to die for the gospel. He's writing in some sort of a Roman prison, which does not sound like a good place to be. But he says he endures. This is the gospel worth suffering for. In verse 8, Paul begins by reminding Timothy of Jesus. Notice Paul even tells Timothy, remember. Remember. He, he, is a, he is very straightforward. Remember who? Remember Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As I already said, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, we would be worshiping a dead Lord. 
We can have a relationship with Jesus because he lives. He lives. You can't have a relationship with somebody who doesn't live. Jesus lives again. He's intermediating between us and God. He's up there in heaven interceding for us. That's what Hebrews gets into. If you tune in on Facebook Live to my Hebrews Bible study, we talk about that. Or if you come out on Wednesday night, we're talking about that. Jesus is interceding for us with God in heaven. Jesus conquered the grave. But more than that, Paul says that Jesus is a descendant of David. The Jewish Messiah, which means anointed one, the Jewish anointed king was to be a descendant of David. Jesus can be our anointed king. Jesus can be our Messiah. Jesus can be our king of kings and lord of lords and reign all over all of creation because he's a descendant of David. That's fulfilling all these prophecies in the Old Testament about who Jesus was to be, about who the Messiah was to be. This verse is stating that Jesus is also God as he conquered the grave and rose from the dead. Jesus is God, fully God and fully man. This verse is stating that Jesus is man as he is a descendant of David. So he's man as he's a descendant of David. He's God as he conquered the grave. Fully God and fully man, the God-man, Jesus, our Savior. And this is one of the basics of our faith. And he's resurrected. He lives victoriously. He's, he's, he's risen from the dead. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. We'll get discouraged, right? We'll get discouraged. But just remember that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the one, capital O, one who conquered the grave. Our hope is in the one who is fully man, and so he could take care of our sins. Our hope, is in, our hope is in the one who is fully God, so he could take the wrath of God because of our sins. Our hope is in the one who reigns, intermediating for us right now. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope isn't in this world. This world is fallen. It is corrupt. It is tarnished and saturated by sin. Our hope is in Jesus. A biblical worldview shows that God created everything good, Genesis 1 through 2. But sin entered the world. And in Genesis 3, we see that the world is fallen. A biblical worldview shows that God has redeemed the world in Jesus, but we're not there yet. He hasn't restored it. Someday that's going to happen. For now, we live in a fallen world, and our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus. You know, this passage also says, God's messenger is chained... God's messenger is chained, and that's Paul, but God's message is never chained. God's messenger is chained, but his message is never chained. Paul is chained, Paul is in prison, but he says the word of God is not in prison. The word of God is still doing its marvelous work. And we see the same thing today. We have missionaries going through persecution. We have uh, Christians going through persecution all over the world. And isn't it counterintuitive that God can accomplish his will that way? That more people sometimes are saved through trials and tribulations through, through, than, than through affluence and prosperity? God's messenger is chained, but the word of God is not chained. And even as Paul wrote that, we're reading it and studying it today. So even though he was chained, God inspires him what to write, and we have it. 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later, we have the message still. God's word is not chained. 
You can't do that. It doesn't happen. The gospel is not in prison. It's never for, for all of church history, and you could go before that to Jewish history, um, uh, human fallenness, and the devil has always tried to chain up and imprison God's message, and it never has worked. It's never worked. It's amazing. In, in, in China, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. At some point, I think it's by 2050, there'll be more Christians than communists. How does that work? In North Korea, there's some 70,000 Christians in prison right now, and Christianity is growing. How does that work? What about Iran? What about Iraq? What about Egypt? What about India? What about all these other countries where they're persecuted, and Christianity is growing over there? It's amazing. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work. God's message is not chained. Sometimes we take the Bible too lightly, but the Bible is God's word declaring God's good news of salvation. Again, this is going back to the basics of the faith about the gospel. Isaiah 55 says that the word of God will go out and it will not come back void. It will accomplish its message. It's great poetic language as the rain comes down from the heavens and nourishes and waters the plants and does not go back to the heavens without accomplishing its purpose. God's word comes out from God and does not return to him void. It's amazing. God's word is at work. The gospel is at work. You know that I've heard testimonies of people being saved just by reading the Bible. Just by the public reading of the Bible too. Go to a Gideon. If you, ever, if you ever can read Gideon testimonials, they're just amazing. They're wonderful about how people are saved just by the word of God. And then Paul says that he will endure all things so that people can receive the gospel. Paul says he will endure all things for those who are chosen, which pretty much means those who will receive salvation and trust in Christ. Why do we do this? Why not be discouraged? The answer is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for you and for me and everyone else. And Paul says that he is willing to endure hardship for the gospel. Paul is willing to go to prison for the gospel. He is willing to go to be beaten to get the gospel. It's amazing. The apostle Paul had great persistence and boldness as a Jewish um, Pharisee trying to persecute Christians. And the Lord saves him. The Lord encounters him on the road to Damascus, and he takes that same persistence and boldness and puts it towards the gospel of Jesus. It's amazing what God did. The question is, will we endure for the sake of the gospel? Will we stay true to the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ in our own life? Go back to the basics. We serve a risen Savior. We can endure because of the gospel. We can endure because we live with Jesus through the Holy Spirit inside us. We can endure because we will eventually reign with Jesus. We can endure because God is at work. Billy Graham said, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The harvest is always urgent. Billy Graham said, the destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation. And we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age. And take advantage of our opportunities. We cannot be responsible for the past generation and how well they did or didn't share the gospel. We cannot be fully responsible for the next generation to how well they will fulfill the gospel. But we are held accountable for our generation. And the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. I also, wrote, um, I also read someone said this. This is great. 
It is my opinion that the best evangelistic center in the greater metropolitan Boston area is not a church. It is a filling station in Arlington. It was owned and operated by a man named Bob, who caught the vision early in his life that his vocation and his calling were to be welded together. As time passed, his filling station became known as a place to go for gas, new tires, or other car services. I have seen a half a dozen cars lined up bumper to bumper near two pumps in front of that little station just waiting to be served by that man. He has no banners out, no Jesus saves flags, no signs, no ichthuses, nothing plastered all over the station or in the windows, no sign that says, bring your car to Bob and take your soul to Jesus. <laughs> he simply did his job. He did it well. And people knew, get this, and people knew he was in partnership with the Lord. He led dozens of people to faith in Jesus Christ through his work. You are, and I am, we are, an evangelist wherever we go. Billy Graham shared the importance, and the other illustration showed our vocation. We're all called to the mission field. We're all called to ministry. And why do we do it? Why do we endure? Because Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and the word of God is not in prison, because Jesus is at work still. Look at the results. Let's reread verses 11 through 13. We're taking apart this passage. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We will reign with him. That's powerful. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Cannot deny himself. Let's break that apart. If we died with him, we will also live with him. This is pretty straightforward, but most believe Paul is not talking about literal death here. He's talking about baptism. When we're baptized, it's symbolic of dying to self and rising to Christ. It's dying with Christ, actually. Okay? And so if we died with him, we will live with him. We live the Christian life with Jesus, in a relationship with him. We now live with him instead of the ways of the world. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Why endure? I know we get discouraged and frustrated, but this says we will reign with him. How do, why do we reign with him? Because we will live again. We'll be resurrected, Jesus, just as Jesus is resurrected. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. We will have eternal life with him. This is eternity. Our life might be 80, 90, 100 years, but eternity is a long time. And we will live with him not only now, but for all eternity. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And this is talking about a total, absolute denial of Jesus. If we deny Christ, he will deny us. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says that whoever denies him, he will also deny before his Father in heaven. If we are faithless, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless... Jesus is faithful, that's what this scripture says, because he cannot deny himself. This is likely referring to our momentary lapses in faith. Even though we lose faith at times, even though we get discouraged at times, God is still faithful. 
This is not a total falling away. But as I've said earlier, God is faithful to his overarching plan too, to his extended promise, going all the way back to Genesis 1-1, going all the way back to Genesis 3 in the first prophecy of the Messiah, going all the way back to Genesis 12 in the first prophecy to Abraham. God is faithful. We can trust him. Listen, God doesn't change, and God doesn't change his mind. God is what we call immutable. This means that he doesn't change. This is critical in the Christian life. Think about it. What if God could change? For one, he wouldn't be perfect. God is perfect. I'm going to say something right now. It's unplanned. It's extra credit. Um, I was in a prayer meeting last week, and somebody shared a quote from some writer from 1950 or something. A good writer. Nothing wrong with him. But the statement said, we have a blank in our life without God. That's true. We have a void in our life without God. Nothing wrong with that statement. But then it went on to say, God has a blank in himself without us. That's not true. In fact, the more I thought about it, I'd be, I, it bothered me. God is perfect. He doesn't need us. He's not lonely without us. He doesn't. And that's why it's more about God's grace that he, that he wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want a relationship with us to fill some need in him. He doesn't have a need. He wants a relationship with us because of his grace, because of his mercy. God doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot say, oh, you know, my plan was to save everybody who calls on my name, but I'm going to change my mind. I don't really like this person. Let's just send him to hell. That's not God's desire. He wants a relationship with us, and his plan and his will and his promises won't change. All these prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus fulfilled in him, they were fulfilled in him. Over 300, even over 400 in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's more prophecies in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the millennial reign in Israel, about Israel. They're going to be fulfilled. There's more prophecies in the Old and New Testament about the new heavens and new earth. They're going to happen. God doesn't change. He cannot tell a lie. He doesn't change his mind. He is faithful to the end. We can trust him. We can trust him. He is faithful. And this is the basics of the faith. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Vince Lombardi was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, right? And he has this wonderful illustration, at least it's credited to him, where he would do a locker room talk with the uh, football players. He would take a football and say, this is a football. And then he would go and talk about the football. And he basically took his athletes back to the basics of football. And eventually they won games, right? This is a football. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics, right? Persistence paid off for Florence Chadwick and her 26-mile swim. Maybe you can think of a time you were persistent and paid off. It paid off, right? There was a time, there's been many times, but when I first started running, I remember one particular time, I was only two miles into a run, which is just almost all I go most runs now, but I was only two miles in, and my legs just wanted to stop. Back then, I could usually just tell my legs to keep going, and eventually they would listen to my mind, and I could keep going. I should have taken the advice that said, sometimes I feel like exercising, but then I roll over and go back to sleep, and then the feeling goes away. Um, but I did it, you know. You have to be persistent when you're in the middle of a run or a workout or maybe a hard day at work, right? 
on this particular day, I stood there in the middle of a road, and then I thought, two miles back, two miles this way, I'm going this way. And eventually, I was able to be persistent and finish the workout. We need persistence. We need encouragement. The devil was training three of his assistants how to get Christians to doubt their faith and to turn away from God. The devil opened his toolbox and told each assistant to pick the tool they thought would work best. One picked persecution. The devil said, no, that one is the least effective. Another picked temptation. The devil said, no, that won't work. Persecution doesn't work. Temptation doesn't work. The third of the devil's assistants picked the smallest tool in the box and handed it to the devil. The devil smiled as he looked at the tool of discouragement. The third tool is discouragement. And the devil said, yes, while this one is small, it will do the job better than all the rest. Discouragement is the most useful tool. Discouragement, the devil says, discouragement has caused the fall of more Christians than any other tool. Keep it handy at all times. Now, of course, that's fictitious, but it still speaks, doesn't it? Sometimes in our lives as Christians, we will feel like quitting. But this passage is our reminder. Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are called, those who are chosen. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. This is a different resurrection message, isn't it? This is a reminder of the basics of the faith. This is a reminder of the basics of the faith. Our finish line is with God in heaven and the gospel of Christ. This is great news to share with all people, but it's great news for us to trust in first. Let me ask, are you trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you believed in him? But beyond that, are you committed to him? Many times we're believing in him, but we're not committing to him as Lord and Savior. If you've never surrendered to him, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior and be a follower of him. Organize your life around him. Live life with Jesus. We need to live life with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we truly are living life with you. Lord God, if there's anyone here who is not surrendered to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day of confessing they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing in you, Jesus, as the one and only Savior. Trusting in you and committing to you. May today be the day, Lord. We're never promised tomorrow. Lord God, if there's anyone here who maybe they've committed to you years ago, but they're not really living for you. May today be the day of repenting and turning back to you. We always, we always, all of us need the Holy Spirit to convict us of where we need to repent to turn and follow you. Lord God, if there's anyone here. Maybe they believed in you, but they're not committed to you. Again, Holy Spirit, I ask you would convict them to follow you, to be a follower of you, not a fan, to trust their life with you, to commit their life to you. And Lord God, help us all following you. Lord God, I ask you would encourage those who are discouraged right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would take your word, not, not necessarily my message, except take, take whatever came from the Holy Spirit and use it, and use it with your word, I would ask, Lord, to encourage us all, 
with the basics of the faith. Jesus, you live. And because you live, we too live now. You give us abundant life now, and we'll have eternal life in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I invite Steve and Joyce and Elaine and Basha for the closing song.